0: got a bible just turn to um first samuel chapter 16 first samuel so old testament don't go there very often but we will today just for this story as by way of introductions i think it was good how many of you know that increasingly stuff that seems to impress the world um, is increasingly worthless i mean the things that that People get graded by, you know, how much money you can make, what kind of job you've got, what kind of clothes you wear, even even what kind of suburb you live in or car you drive. And those things are useless, you know. They really are. Um, and the things that really, I think, mean something worthwhile are just discarded. You know, things like, you know, decent morals and honesty and integrity and and uh and faithfulness and those kinds of things they just they just discarded these days as just being antiquated and old school and just worthless this world is just going going crazy and um, we even do that with people just discard people if they're not if they're not you know born into a certain caste in some countries or they're not the right skin color or not the right gender or don't hold the right you. I'm so grateful God doesn't do that. So thankful that God doesn't do that. You know He came to die for everyone, every single person, no matter their condition, no matter their thoughts, no 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 matter their their behavior, no matter their past. God never discards anybody. He loves everyone equally. And he holds everyone in high esteem and honour. Do you know that he loves non-Christians just as much as he loves Christians? Yeah. He desires, his desires for them and his plans for them are just the same as they are for us. That's the love of God. And I'm so grateful for God for that. Because that's the good news. That the good news is that we have a secure future in God because he loves us irrespective of our past, irrespective of what other people think. David was a guy who was, uh, I mean, he's a bit of a character, but he's a, he's a hero in, in, in the Bible, one of the heroes in the Bible. But um, he was a man who grew in prominence. He, he didn't start that way. He grew that way. He grew in God. He grew confident in God to the point where at the end of his life, It said of him that he was a man who fulfilled all of God's plans for him in his generation. He was a man who had a heart after God. And that wasn't just a person saying that. That was God. God was declaring that over this man. But it wasn't always like that. He didn't start like that. And in in here, in, in 1 Samuel 16, we read the story of where David sort of suddenly appears. And there's another guy. Samuel, he's, he's a well-known guy. He's the prophet of the nation. And he's highly respected. And uh, And he's getting on a little bit in years, but he's a highly respected man. He's the guy who hears God and he speaks and everyone takes notice because it's proven. He's a proven prophet. And God says to him, he said, I want you to go to Bethlehem and find this family. Um, The father is Jesse. I want you to find that family because in that family, I want you to find one of these sons and anoint him to be the next king of Israel. Now, that was an unprecedented thing to happen. One, the king was already still alive. That was Saul. Two, in every other country around them, If there's going to be uh, uh, the next person in line to take the throne, it's usually always a son or a daughter of the existing king. And God tells Samuel to go do something totally different. Go and find a completely different family and you're going to find a kid there, a son there, and you're going to anoint him to be king. And Samuel gets all nervous because he thinks, man, Saul's going to find out about this and he's not going to be happy because he's still king. He's going to come and kill me. But God had a plan. And, and, and I think everyone here knows the story. Um, Samuel goes there. He finds the family. He, he tells Jesse to bring all of his sons out and to line them up. Jesse knows what's going to happen. Samuel's explained it to him. And he gets all the sons and he lines them up, seven of them. Come. And he goes through each one of them. And he looks at him and says, mm, it's not this one. And he goes through, and no, that's not this one. No, it's not this one. Seven of them. All of them. Doom, 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 doom. And Samuel starts to doubt. What in the heck's going on? Got all of these guys. I mean, they, you know, surely it's got to be one of these. But there's an incredible verse in there. I want, I want to just read it. It's verse uh, 7. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance. He's looking at all these other kids, okay? He says, don't, ex- don't consider their appearance or their height. Um, the Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, the things that we think that qualify people to be used by God are not necessarily the things that impress God. They're not the things that He is looking for. You read on in the story and and Samuel just gets more and more nervous. It's like, man, what is going on here? You've got all of these guys, and it's none of them. And so he's starting to think, have I actually heard God? So he asks Jesse, he says, You I mean, there's seven, you've got seven kids here, but is there any chance you've got any more? <laughs> and, and Jesse says, Yeah, no, I've got my youngest son, David. He's out in the fields looking after the sheep. So Samuel says, "Now bring him, bring him along. Verse 11 says there is still the youngest Jesse said he is tending the sheep send for him we will not sit down until he arrives so he sent and brought him in he was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features then the Lord said rise now remember what God said before God's not interested in what he looks like on the outside even though he looked handsome as a young man God wasn't interested in that he was looking far deeper the Lord said to Samuel, rise and anoint him, he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. You know, God chooses at times the most unlikely people. The most unlikely people. And... uh that's not always good. That's that's not good news for people who think they're God's gift to the earth. You know, people who are full of pride and think, oh pick me, pick me, because I'm the one, I'm the savior of, of of everything." You know, but it's very good news for the rest of us. Who feel weak, <laughs> you know, who are sometimes insecure, uh, who feel like we don't qualify for anything. It's good news because God's not looking at what we appear to be on the outside. He's looking at our heart. And he saw something in David's heart that he says, I want that. I want that, guy." All through scripture, we see men and women that society has rejected that God chooses. That's encouraging, folks. That's encouraging. You know, you might be sitting here today thinking, man, I've blown it. You know, I've, I've, I've just made a mess all the time. I'm no good. I'm... I don't measure up and I've got nothing that God could possibly want. folks. that's a lie of the devil. That really is a lie of the enemy. You know, you look through scripture, people like Gideon and Joseph and and, uh, and even Paul and others, people who society had discarded, who said are useless and are worthless, God says, I want them. I want those people. You know the story of Paul, um, Acts chapter 9, we, we don't have to read it but um, here's this guy, his Hebrew name is Saul, he has an encounter with God and he starts using his Greek name, it's like God's giving him a name change but he's Paul, But he starts out as Saul and you see him in chapter 9 and, uh, and, he's, and he's breathing out, it says he's breathing out threats against christians he hates the church he hates jesus he hates every christian and he gets letters of authority from the from the temple from the guys in charge from the authorities to go and arrest and persecute every christian he can find that's Saul. he was there when stephen was being stoned he hates god he he doesn't hate god he loves his god he loves god but he hates jesus He hates Christians. And so he's on the road to Damascus to go and arrest people and he has an encounter with Jesus where Jesus just just arrests him. He's going to arrest Christians. Jesus comes and arrests Paul, this guy who hates the church. And he has an encounter with Jesus where he has to make a choice. Do you know God will never usurp your will? Free, he's given us a free will so that we make a choice. People think that God just sovereignly just picked out Paul and yet right, I'm going to force you, I'm going to make you do what I want you to do. That's not true. Paul had a choice. And you read it in the story because he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he has this encounter with God. And he gets blinded. And then he goes, he, he follows God's instructions and he goes to a particular house in Damascus. And uh, and and God and Jesus says, wait there. Now, in the meantime, God goes and speaks to a prophet called Ananias. And he says to him, he says, Go to this particular house, gives him the address of the house. You're going to find a guy there, it's Saul. And you're going to go and pray for him, and he's going to get healed because he is the guy. That I have chosen, and Ananias starts to question God. He says, "What? You, you, this guy who hates us, this guy who wants to arrest us. You want me to go to him <laughs> and pray for him? You got to be kidding, God." And Ananias has all these doubts. He says, "No way. I, I, how can I?" But eventually, he goes. He responds to God because there's something in his heart that is soft, and says, "Despite." The difficulty. Despite what I see outwardly, I'm going to listen to your voice, God. And he goes and he lays his hands on Paul, on Saul, and he gets healed of his blindness. And you know what it says then in the story? It says, immediately, immediately, Saul gets up and he goes to the synagogue and he preaches about Jesus. This guy that that everyone else has discarded this guy that everyone else is afraid of that don't want to have anything to do with if you're a christian you don't want to have anything to do with Saul. he's the last guy you want to see around and yet god chooses him and he gets radically changed now on the outward folk we would look at Saul and say there's nothing good in that guy there's absolutely nothing good in him why would god choose him and yet, God saw something different. God actually saw a radicalness in him, that if he could just capture Paul's heart, he would change the world, and that's exactly what happened. Paul changed this this guy who ends up writing three quarters of the New Testament. This guy who 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 preaches the gospel and opens churches and plants churches all over the place. This guy that everyone else is afraid of. Jesus says, he's mine. He, Paul disappears for a, for a while. He he's kind of falls off the radar for a few years, but he's still preaching. And you see him later on, I think it's about Acts chapter 13, 12, 13, you see him where he goes to Antioch. He spends a year there. He gets commissioned as a, an apostle to the nations. He goes, chapter 16, this is a number of years later now, he goes to a little place called Derby. And he finds a guy there, this young guy. His name's Timothy. Now, I don't know if you know much of Timothy's history, but Timothy, his mother is a Jew. Whose phone is that? Sorry, I didn't know. (laughs) So he finds this young guy, Timothy. His mother's a Jew, but his father's a Greek. Now, in Jewish culture, that's not a good thing. Mixed marriage. We're meant to actually marry them. And here's Timothy, this young guy, and Paul sees something in him. says, hmm, this guy's interesting. But a, few, a, a couple of books later, once, Paul, once Timothy's actually started, he started to travel with Paul, he's ministering, um, Paul actually has to say to him, he says, man, you're always sick. You need to take some wine for your stomach. You're a bit weak. Later on, he says, Timothy, don't be afraid. You're so nervous. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. All right? He's writing that to Timothy. I mean, we take that and he's right. God says that to us, but he's right. Paul's writing that to Timothy. Don't be so afraid. You're always sick. Come on, perk yourself up. I mean, would you choose that guy to be a leader? Seems to always be sick, seems to be afraid. He's young, he's probably only about 17, 18 years of age. Would you choose that person to be, not just a leader in the church, not just a pastor, but actually to be an apostle, to travel the nations with Paul and to impact regions that the gospel hasn't yet gone to? Would you choose that person? But God did. All through the Bible we see people Who were used so mightily of God, men and women, that other people had rejected. It almost seems like failure and insecurity and weakness and rejection was a prerequisite to actually being great in God. Um, If you look at the lives of so many men and women through history, you see common traits. It's, It's not that God sovereignly picks their name out of a box and they just become the lucky ones. Now, he sees something in their heart. What's in your heart? Because that's what God's looking at. He's looking at the attitudes of our heart. And when we look at some of these great men and women through history, there's a common trait. It's their heart. It's their heart that is constantly poised towards God that enables them to actually push through difficult times and say, God, I'm still available, you know, What's that song? I get knocked down, but I get up again. <laughs> and that's what it's like for, for many of us, folk. Life throws a lot of stuff at you. It always will. But if you want to stand for Jesus, it'll throw a whole lot more stuff at you. Why don't you just go quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians 1. Let's read from verse 25. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 25 says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Are you weak? Do you have times where you feel weak? Do you have times where you feel foolish? (laughs) Do you have times when you feel inadequate? Then guess what? You qualify. (laughs) You qualify. In fact, none of us, when you read that, folk, and when you understand God's grace and his processes, none of us have an excuse. Not one of us can say, I'm not not worthy, because he's made us worthy. Not one of us can say, well, I don't have the wisdom I need, because there's a wisdom that you can draw on from heaven. In fact, Paul says you have the mind of Christ. None of us can say that we're not strong enough or that we don't know enough of the Bible because none of those things, well, we should know the Bible, but you need to know what God says about you. But so but so often we look at all these other things and we think, if I can get all of those things in, in, in line, if I can get all my ducks in a row, then God will use me. And that is totally contrary to what he's actually just said there. Let me read this in the message Bible because I love this it says human wisdom is so tinny so impotent next to the seeming absurdity of God (laughs) take a look friends at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you, not many influential, not many of high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? You ever felt like you've been abused and exploited and overlooked? God chooses you. (laughs) He chose the nobodies. To expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by without blowing, by blowing your own horn before God. Don't go to God and boast how, how, how much you can do for him. Just, Paul says, actually, I boast in my weakness. Because when I'm weak, I am strong. How was Paul able to say that? Because he wasn't relying on his own strength. He was relying on the strength of God. And so, you know, when we read these verses, none of us has got an excuse to say, well, I I can't do it. God chooses the most unlikely. He even chooses the foolish, the weak, the despised and the rejected. Luke Luke spoke about it last week. Um, He talked about Matthew. You know, Matthew was one of the disciples that Jesus called, one of the first ones. And yet he's a guy who's despised by society around him because he was a tax collector. They hated him. I mean, he was an apparent government official that everybody despised and hated. And yet Jesus says, "Um, I'll have you. I'll have you. I don't care what everyone else thinks. I don't care what everyone else sees. This is an amazing thing because God looks at the heart He's a tax collector who's ripping people off. You kind of think there's something a little bit despicable in his heart, don't you? And yet God still sees something else in him. Jesus still sees something else in him. Do you know, we can still have some ugly stuff in our heart that your mind might tell you you're disqualified. And God says, I can deal with that. I can deal with that. I don't know if I've told this story before. I think I did. It's supposed to be a true story of a big oil fire in America and they couldn't put it out and all these oil rigs are going up and they call Red Adair. Red Adair is supposed to be this great famous oil rig fire, firefighter, you know, and they call him and he spends days there with his crew and they still can't put it out. And so in desperation they just put this call out apos, across the radio, so anyone, anyone who can come and help us put this fire out, please come. And there's two old guys who are part of the local volunteer fire brigade. They come down in their rickety old truck and they drive them down the hill and they drive straight into the fire. Everyone thinks, oh, that did. And all of a sudden the fire goes out. And and then they get interviewed afterwards and they say, What did you do? And it says, Well, we don't know what we did. Um, we, just, we just truck drove in there and it actually hit one of the water pumps and all of a sudden water sprayed everywhere and it put everything out. We, we don't understand. They said, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with the reward? And they said, uh, well, the first thing we'll do is get the brakes fixed on our truck. <laughs> <laughs> Unlikely heroes. No intention of actually going and do that, but suddenly it happened. But God can use any one of us. Amen. You might feel like you can't remember things, you know, you struggle to read, you feel intimidated. It doesn't matter. God has qualified you. Amen. Even David felt like that at times. In fact, he, he says, David, why did, he says, God, why did you choose me? I'm useless. I'm low. I'm, I'm, I'm one of the lowest of the low. Why did you choose me? And then he says this: he says, but God, you seem to treat me as the most exalted of men. David had doubts, but God didn't. For God is molding every single one of us. When we just acknowledge our weakness and we acknowledge the fact that, hey, I can't do it without Jesus. I can't do it without Jesus. That's what he's looking for. I want to I just encourage you, stay open, stay open. Have your hearts open. I was going to say because your day is coming, but I'd rather say to every single person in this place, your day has come. Your day has come. You're not too old, you're not too young, you're not too weak. You know the story of Gideon? He's hiding in a winepress. press. hiding. Right? He's hiding. An angel comes to him and speaks to him and says, Rise up, you mighty man of valour. Who, me? Who, me? I'm I'm the littlest guy of the littlest family, of the littlest tribe in this town, and uh, I'm a nobody. And you know what God says to him? Go in the power that you have. Uh, That's interesting. It didn't say God's going to give him extra power didn't say God's going to do all, he, he just says, go in the power that you have. Do you know, folk, that's resident within us, that is the Holy Spirit. That means you have all the power that you need. And Gideon, finally, I mean, he, he struggles because he actually asks God, even though he's had this amazing encounter with, a, with an angel, he actually says to God, well, give me a sign. Aren't, you, aren't we like that? Huh? You know? I mean, God could show up and face-to-face encounter, and we say, oh, give us a sign. <laughs> it's true. I mean, we see God move. We see miracles happen. We see God touch people. We see all these incredible things happen, and yet we still come in our insecurity and say, oh, God, give us another sign. Yeah. It's true. We, we do it. God still chose him. God still chose him. Moses has an encounter with God, burning bush. God appears. What does Moses do? Oh, I can't go. You want me to go to Pharaoh and talk and tell him to let people go? Come on, God. And he makes all these excuses. I can't speak. I don't know this. I can't do that. God, just just go. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. See, that's the thing, folks. What holds us back from doing what God's called us to do? In the back of our mind, we think we are alone. And yet God says, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. Why, Why is it that God seems to choose these kinds of people, the weak, the foolish, the despised? The ones who are fearful? I think, I think there's a couple reasons. I think number one is because they have no real self-confidence. And God's not looking in your self-confidence in what you can do. He's looking for people who have a confidence in him. You know, and people who are overly self-confident for God to use them, you know what he's got to do? He's actually got to knock all of that self-confidence out. I'd rather come to God understanding and knowing, hey, I need your help, rather than get knocked around a bit. Amen? The second reason is so God alone gets all the glory. All the glory. He called us to do what is not normal. To walk in the supernatural. And you can't do that with your strength. You can't heal anybody, but Jesus can. Amen? Two things I think that are very, very important in understanding how to partner with the Holy Spirit, because that's what it's all about. God's just looking for, for people who will partner with him. And I think there are two really important things. One is that we must believe that we're chosen. God's called every single one of us. God chose you before the foundations of the world. The second thing is that we have to believe that God's qualified us. God't just chose you, he hasn't just chosen you. He's qualified you. Amen? There's not a disqualified person in this room. God's qualified every single one of us. Let me just give you in the, I'll just give you these little things as headings. Things that God does in our lives, through the Holy Spirit as we stay soft before him so that he can use us. All right? Because there is a process of maturity, you know that. When we look at great men and women of God, it did, they just didn't bang, burst on the scene and they had everything. They Actually, every one of them went through a process of allowing God to do some things in their lives so that they would be prepared for their future. And I believe that God is doing that for us as a church. He's doing that for us as individuals. These are some of the things that happen. One, God helps us develop humility. And that is so very important. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humility is, I think, one of the most important things. It's one of the keys to actually having God use us. You know, when David, we started off with the story of David, when he goes, he, he goes down to, to the army, he goes, his father says, I want you to go and give food to, to your brothers. And he takes, takes some food down to them. And then he sees Goliath is, he's all his taunts and everyone's afraid, his own brothers are afraid, the king's afraid, everyone's afraid of Goliath. And, and David stands up and he says, why? Why? So what? He's a bit taller than you, that's all. There's nothing else special about him. In actual fact, he's a bit of a freak. And you know what happens? His brothers get angry. And they start boasting in their ability compared to his ability. Pride. And that pride actually weakened them to the point where they were paralyzed with fear and they couldn't do anything about it. You'd think it would have the opposite effect, but it didn't. But David comes up, he's not proud, he's, he's not boasting about his own ability, but he comes up and he starts boasting about God. He boasts about God because he knows who he is in God. Folk, humility is not thinking that you're a little worm. Humility is understanding who you are in Jesus. And that was David. The Holy Spirit will bring a greater revelation of God's love. God's love towards us, unconditional. Unconditional. He loved us even though we were sinners. He gave himself for us even though we were dead in sin. That's the love of God. If you don't know you were loved by God, you'll try and get love from everywhere else. And instead of answering the call of God and engaging in what God's called you to do, all you're going to do is worry about how much people accept you. And you're running around everywhere trying to get people to accept you and appreciate you. And you'll actually lose track of what God's called you to do. So what does the Holy, One, Holy Spirit do? He, he wants to get us so confident in God's love for us, to understand how much God loves us. So that, so that when we engage in this great project that God has called us to do, we're not doing it to try and get God to love us because we already know he loves us. This might seem to contradict uh, what I said before, but the Holy Spirit will give us a greater realisation of self-worth. Not self-love, not that you're better than anybody else, but understanding who you are in Jesus. Humility is not thinking of yourself as a worm. Humility is understanding who you are in Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's not a self-pride. That's not a worldly pride. I'm proud to be a Christian. I'm proud to know Jesus is in me. I'm proud to say the Holy Spirit is with me. I'm proud to say I'm a son of God. I'm proud to say I'm an heir. I'm a saint. I'm proud to say those things. But that's not self-pride. That's pride in who Jesus is and the reality that he is in me. Amen? All right. Let me just, we're going to finish this quick. This is important. The Holy Spirit will help us and teach us how to deal with rejection. Who's ever been rejected? One or two people. Gee, the rest of you are really lucky. <laughs> really lucky. <laughs> I wish I could be. <laughs> How many of you know rejection is painful? Rejection's not nice. Rejection's pretty tough at times. David had been rejected by his brothers. In fact, when, when Samuel came and said to Jesse, call, all, call your sons, because I want to find which one's going to be the king. David's own father rejected him. He left him out in the field and said, to him, you're not going to bother with that guy. He's, he's, he's nobody. You know, rejection can be a horrible thing. It can be a very, very painful thing. We run from it. We don't like it. We do everything in our power to avoid it. It's painful. But you know, folk, it's essential to learn how to deal with it if you want to count for God. You know, one of the hardest things that Robert and I had to deal with when we, came, when we made the decision to come to Perth, you know, well, we had everything we needed in Adelaide. Had a great position in the church, travelling the world, just had everything laid on. I had people that I could just call and say, heck, you know, I can get this done, get that done, get that done. It was just, I mean, it was just like heaven on earth for me. When we made the decision to come here, People hated it. didn't hate us, but they hated the decision. And they really battled with it. We had people who got really angry and stopped talking to us when we made that decision. We had to deal with a whole lot of stuff. Some of them were long-time friends who couldn't understand what was going on. Couldn't understand the decision. And for months and months and months, in fact, we were here for quite a long period of time before some of those people would even bother to talk to us again, even when we'd travelled back to Adelaide. If you, don't, if you don't learn how to deal with that stuff, I tell you, fuck, it'll wreck you. And the Holy Spirit wants to help us to know how to deal with those things. Jesus got ridiculed. Had crowds followed him, but there were people who just spat on him. Even people who said, I'll never leave you. I'll never leave you, Jesus. Ah, who are you? Peter. Rejected Jesus. Three times denied him. You would think at the end of that, That Jesus would say, Peter, on your horse, on your bike, get out of here. I don't want to have anything to do with you. But that's not what Jesus does. He restores him. He restores him. Last one. The Holy Spirit will help us and teach us to be faithful and reliable. And that's what God looks for. That's one of those things in our heart that he's looking at. That through difficulty, that through persecution, that through apparent failure, that through apparent rejection, all of these things, God is just looking. Is that person going to stay faithful? Are they going to stay faithful to me, to him? Are they going to be faithful to what he's called them to? If we haven't learnt how to deal with rejection, then you know the first thing, one of the first things that goes is faithfulness. Someone asked me once, what would you prefer? Would you prefer to have a great man of faith, someone with world renown, come and give us two months of their time and just stay here in the church and just minister into the church? Would you rather have that or would you rather have someone who is just going to be a faithful person who's going to stick with you forever? Now, I know all the benefits of having great ministers come in, but you know what I would choose? That faithful person. I'll take that faithful servant that sticks every time. Because that's building long term. Amen? No matter how disqualified you might feel, no matter how inadequate, no matter how weak, no matter how foolish you may feel, in God you qualify. In God you qualify. In God, we can do mighty things. In God, we can become great heroes. Can I... Is, there, is that still on? Is that vanished? Okay. Let me just read this. This is Paul. He says this. When he's complaining, he's having a little bit of a grizzle to God. You know, he's complaining about a few things. So we back up. That's what Paul says. He says. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power might rest on me. You want Christ's power to rest on you? You know, boasting in your weakness isn't walking around saying, oh, I'm so weak, I'm so pathetic, I'm useless. That's not boasting in your weakness. Boasting in your weakness is saying, actually, within me I have no capacity to do what you've called me to do, God. But... In you, I can do it. In you, I can do it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Let me read this to you in closing. It's just, uh, I saw this this week. It's from the Passion Translation, Psalm 25. And uh, just part of Brian Simmons' comments on it. It says, I'm the one who leads you through life. It's God speaking to you. I have my hand upon you. And I will not fail to guide you into the perfect path I have chosen for you. Many other doors I have opened for you. For I am your Father and I watch over every part of you and every step you take. When shadows linger on your path, I will be there to brighten your way. And when you are confused, I will make my ways even more clear to you. You know there's a wisdom you can call on when you feel confused? James talks about two wisdoms. You can rely on the wisdom of this world or you can rely on the wisdom of God. And there have been many times I've felt confused. i thought, God, man, I need clarity on this. I'll just call for wisdom from above. When your life is in my hands, you will never need to worry about what direction you are to go. It's not a game of hide and seek, searching for my will as though you had lost it. My choices for your life will prevail and you will one day see how perfectly I have guided you. I have chosen you and because you are mine, I have commanded my angels to be in charge of your days, protecting and holding you in my ways, so that you will not stumble as you walk with me. Isn't that good? That's encouraging, folks. God's always with us. Never doubt my plans for your life. Who's ever doubted? Uh, (laughs) I have made no mistake. Ephesians chapter one, Paul says that God chose us with all wisdom and understanding. There have been an earthly, um, there may have been an earthly father that has forgotten his, his child, but I will never forget you, for my blood, for the blood of my Son has made you fully mine. I have called every star by name. I have measured out the oceans of the earth and the in the hollow of my hand. I have held the mountains of the earth and unrolled the tapestry of the skies. I will never forget you or fail to hold you near me. Watch as my mysterious ways open up before your eyes. Many have seen my miracles and, and never, uh, but never learned my mysteries. But I will show miracles and mysteries as you keep your heart before me. My dear child, I'm a father that will never fail you. I will instruct you in the ways you should go, and you will hear the voice of my spirit giving you the secrets of my ways. Come closer to me, and I will whisper the words of life that make you strong and pure for what is to come. I am the one who leads you, and I will never fail you. I've had days where i felt so weak, I want to just give up, just want to curl up in a ball and stay in bed and never get out of bed ever again. Honestly, I've had days where i felt like that. You know, you can, we can all suffer the pink blanket syndrome. You know what that is? It's just like, oh man, I, it's so cosy here, I just want to... St- <laughs> you can do that on Sundays, especially in winter. Oh, so much easier, so much warmer in bed. It'll be so much nicer just to pull the blanket up and just stay here. You know, we curl up in our little fetal position. You know, the devil is going to try and you, do that to you every single Sunday. I don't know if you're aware of that. It's number one on his agenda every Sunday for you. Is it just to get you to curl up, put the, pull the blanket up higher? I deserve this. I deserve a day off. Yeah, you do. You do. We all deserve it. I'd like to have a... It would be wonderful have a day off. Have a day off. <laughs> I'd like to take a Monday, Josh. I meant to take a Monday. I haven't had a Monday off in, I don't know, how long. So it's our priority. Ah, oh, it's just so much nicer to be in bed here, especially when it's raining and it's cold. But you see, I have a greater priority, and that's Jesus. He is the one that we come to worship. He is the one we come to serve. I come to preach, to instill something in us, to be heroes for God, to be heroes for God, because the Bible says this: it says, "Those who know their God." will do great exploits, great exploits. There is a process in knowing God, in allowing the Holy Spirit just to work within us, help us get stronger. Amen? So I know it's not a rah-rah message. It's just something to speak into our spirit to help encourage us, folks. God's called every one of us for the miraculous. He every one of us to be heroes in his kingdom. Amen. You're not a nobody and your weakness doesn't disqualify you. It actually qualifies you. Amen. Father, would you help us? Help us, Holy Spirit. We need you. We thank you, Jesus, for the promises of your word that we do already have everything in Christ. But Lord, we know we need to learn how to walk in the reality of that and that happens as we allow you holy spirit just to fashion and mold us and form us more and more into the image of jesus where the things that would normally distract us and discourage us no longer have an effect upon us but we stand in the fullness of your strength thank you jesus you called us thank you jesus you didn't make a mistake Thank you, Jesus, that even in our weakness we can be strong as we keep our eyes upon you. Thank you, Jesus, for the word that encourages us, Lord God. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who walks with us every single day and never, ever, 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 ever leaves us. Even when we feel alone, we can just turn and say, Holy Spirit, thank you you're with me. Now manifest your glory amongst us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Bless us as we go from this place today. Father, we pray for anyone who's not here because of sickness. Lord, that you would raise them up, that you would just come with your healing power upon their bodies right now, wherever they are. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Bless you guys. And uh, yeah, if you can have lunch with us over at the food court. Great.